All right. Good morning, everyone. All right. Great to uh, see you and have you here with us this morning. Uh, just have a couple announcements that we want to share with you to kind of update you. One is if you're visiting with us and you would like contact from us, uh, we don't have any license plate checkers in the parking lot, uh, no one recording your location, that kind of thing. So if you want any contact from us as a church uh, family, from our leadership team, just uh, go to the uh, Welcome Center right outside the door on the right and sign up and then uh, give us an indication if you want a phone call, if you want to sit down to talk with one of the pastoral team members, just let us know how we can best uh, serve you uh, as you come and visit with us. The youth event that was planned for tonight is canceled due to the weather. That will happen Wednesday night. So for the parents of youth, watch your text and watch your email for updates and data on that uh, event on Wednesday night. Uh, There'll be directions to get to that as well. I want to just uh, also mention the baptism service that we're doing on September 26th. So it's this simple. If you come to a place in your life where God has changed your heart, brought you to faith and repentance and trust in Christ. Uh, Baptism is an opportunity that Jesus calls us to participate in, an opportunity for us to proclaim that our hope for forgiveness and for life change is found in the person of Jesus Christ. So baptism is a, a beautiful celebration of what God has done inside of someone's heart. It's not a brag. It's, it's purely a way that we point to Jesus Christ and say, I am so grateful for his cross work and the way that he has changed my life. So we want to just uh, put that in front of you. If, you. if you're interested in participating in that service uh, in the baptism portion, then there's a sign-up sheet on the table in the back. I see uh, Holly Stinson. Uh, Holly's mom passed away this week. So, Holly, we just, as a church family, be praying for you, and we're going to pray for you in a minute. Um, remember my pastor saying to me years ago, uh, you know, you only have one mom, and that's a unique relationship uh, that you have, and so that's a loss that is not easy. So, as a church family, we want to make sure we're caring for you as best we can. So, I uh, just want to put that in front of you. I reminded you all last Sunday of the need for us to serve in the context of our church and our community. Two people in our church family that I love came up to me after the service and were pointing in the direction of what can we as a church do, okay? And if you remember in the conclusion last Sunday, we talked about the importance of individual involvement and us going out of this building on Sunday after hearing God's truth and putting it into practice in our lives. So I want to encourage you first to think not what can we as a church do, but what can I as part of the church do as a person gifted by the Spirit of God to do the work of ministry, okay? So that we're not always thinking corporately, Well, let me say it this way. Think corporately, but act individually. Okay? We're all part of what God's doing in this church family. And here's my excitement. If every one of us went out every week and said, God, show me the person in whose life I can make a difference, we will transform our community. Okay? If you get 100, 120, 150 people, we'll make a difference. Okay? So it's it's great the things we do corporately but we're nothing if we don't do it individually. Does that make sense? So, so just as you go, as we sing this morning, okay, don't be a spectator. Okay, don't simply mouth words. Enter in before God and say, God, 
Show me my true heart. Show me Jesus in a clearer way. Allow God to minister and work for you. When we bow our heads, Ed's going to come up in a moment and lead us in prayer. When we pray, don't listen merely. Okay, join in and pray before God corporately as a church family. Okay, we're not doing anything we're doing today for you to observe. Okay, it's for you to join in and participate because we are the body of Christ, members individually. So we each do our part. And when every part's doing their part, God's work gets done. Okay, hopefully that encourages your heart. Okay, Ed's going to come and lead us in prayer this morning. Before I, before I, uh, before we pray, uh, I just want to share a quick story. Um, when when my children were born, we had quadruplets, and one of them was diagnosed early as with autism, and we took him to not one, not two, three neurologists, and they basically all said, "Well, it looks like he has autism." And I remember feeling a deep sorrow in my heart and my wife when I went to the bedroom and started to cry to the Lord and say, you know, Lord, you will never give us anything that we cannot bear. And Lord, um, I know that you will give us grace through this. We prayed for healing and just took it day by day. And then one day at about three years old, one of my little, my little daughter came, Emily, and said, Brian is just like us. And I said, what do you mean by that? And Brian came and spoke his first words and said, can I have some water? And he was healed. And he is, and to make the irony even more, he went on to become magna cum laude and FDU because not because of anything I did, because God moved his hand. And so I want to pray today. Um, Hebrews tells us, now faith is the confidence of things hoped for and the assurance of things not seen. We don't pray because we see things. We pray because God has seen it ahead of time. And we pray because God tells us to pray. That's one of the things that God tells us to do. He tells us that in the midst of trials, we are to pray. In Luke, he tells us, this is how you ought to pray. And he sees and he tells us a story about a woman who knocks on the door. An uncompassionate judge says, no, no, no. And she keeps on knocking. And Jesus uses that example as how we ought to pray. We have a member in our family here, Victor Kelly, whose wife is very ill. She has metastatic cancer. And we should not just give in and say, you know, well, there's nothing we can do. There's a lot we can do. We can pray heaven's hand to come down and restore her health. We can pray for that family. We are a people of hope. And so... Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you right now, in the name of Jesus, that you would touch Diana.
that you would restore her health, oh God, that you would touch her right now, oh God. Lord, you are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. The same God who gave eyes to the blind, the same who said to the lame to walk, the same who healed the the lepers, oh God, touch her even now. And Lord, we ask you that you would give Victor and his family and Emma faith, oh God, and hope, knowing, Lord God, that these are things we don't see, but things that we can confidently pray that you can do. And so, Lord, we ask you in the name of Jesus, and we pray for Holly's family even now, Lord God. We pray, Lord, for peace. We know, Lord God, that in the midst of tribulation, you are there. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You, my God, have saved my soul. I am yours forevermore. I won't be moved of this, I'm sure. You're my God and you saved my soul.
This speaks of the hope that we just spoke about a little while ago as we were praying. As Ed was telling that story about his, you know, about his son. Um, and what's cool about that too, Ed? Sorry, I gotta talk to you, Ed, real quick. I know Brian. I didn't know that. I worked with him at, at Warren Hills High School. You wouldn't know that. You wouldn't know that. So that's amazing. Sorry, I'm trying to, you know, it's, it's an incredible. I also know Brian just got a job at Warren Tech, right? Just got a job at Warren Tech as a math teacher. So, like, amazing. Amazing knowing all, all that. So, I'm going to try and get through this song now <laughs> after knowing that. Okay, let's sing. <laughs> but if you need hope too, if, like, you know, like Ed talked about him and his wife needing that hope at the time. Having four kids, quadruplets, one of them having some issues potentially. It's potentially obviously overwhelming in general. And then you have that situation on top of it. Maybe you're in the same boat, not the exact same boat, but in a situation where you also need that, you need that hope. What can I trust in? What can I believe in? And we're going to sing a song, you know, you guys know this song, Living Hope. We don't have a, just a, a hope out there that's just somewhere. We have a living hope, Jesus Christ, who is alive, who we can trust in and can believe that he will heal and change because he has already defeated the thing that we cannot defeat, death. We do not have the ability to defeat death. We die, we die. Jesus has defeated death. And we as Christians are alive because of him. We live through him. His life is in us. And uh, we live you know, forever because of that. So, all right, let's see. Let's sing How Great the Chasm. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain that I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into Oh, well. 
sing hallelujah. Yeah. 
sing before the throne. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is raised.
Lord, these praises are for you this morning. We thank you we can join in worshiping you together. We thank you that we are praising the one, the risen son of God. God, in sending your son to die for us, you sent us hope. In the most unimaginable package, a baby, this isn't what we expected. We expected an all-conquering king, but you came humbly. And that's how you expect us to be too, to be Christians that are humble to be people that look to you, not to ourselves for our strength. God, we thank you this morning. We can sing these things together. We ask God now as we hear your word that you would put it down deep in us, Lord, that the words we hear, the eternal word, the word that will stand forever after every other book is gone and falls apart, your word, the Bible, will stand forever, and it does. So God, we ask you to help us to hear today and to stand upon these promises. We thank you for this time of worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. Good morning. Um, children, you could be dismissed for junior church. And for the rest of you, would you turn in your Bibles with me to Malachi? And we're going to be looking at the very last verse of Malachi chapter 2. And then we're going to go into Malachi chapter 3. I entitled the message this morning, The Wearying, and I guess the Wounding of the God of Justice, both the Wearying of the God of Justice. And I don't know if you struggle with this. I, um, I stop watching the news at times because I get very tired. Um, just in the last week or two, Watching people on a runway trying to stop a plane from taking off, um, my heart is broken. Seeing no matter where you would line up when it comes to the immigration issue, seeing people at a border in our country and the struggles that are there. The divide in our country over ethnic or racial, if you want to call it that, issues. The divide in our country over immigration issues. The divide in our country when it comes to economics, politics, mask, no mask, viruses, the struggle of evil. Evil is um, exists in this world. One pastor put it this way, there are natural evils that happen in this world and all the external, the impersonal things that happen in this world, the physical issues, the diseases, the viruses, the volcanoes, the tsunamis, the hurricanes that we were experiencing a portion of this even this morning. Those are the natural evils, the breakdown in our bodies, the physical corruption, it's just natural. 
There's a second part of evil that is apparent in our society. It's not just the natural things, but it's the moral things, the the personal issues that happen in our world, the internal, the spiritual things, the choices that we make, how we sin against one another, how we transgress against God, the unceasing lust that is apparent in our lives. There is external and outside evil, but there's an internal evil that lies within every single one of us. All the pain, all the suffering, all the misery, all the trials, all the troubles, all the broken marriages, all the broken friendships, all the broken relationships, all the malfunction that happens in the world is a byproduct of evil. Evil exists. All the wars and the rumors of wars, all the struggles that dominate your relationships in you is a byproduct of evil, natural evil, or moral evil. There's the third part of that evil that occurs, which is supernatural. There is an evil one, Satan, that hates God, and anyone that aligns himself with God, he hates you. He is a rule. He is a ruler of this world. He is a liar. He is a murderer. He is a thief. He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. He hates us. If you are in God. But not only is there a natural evil, moral evil, a supernatural evil, there is an eternal evil. There is a hell that, that awaits. And there are people in hell that hate God and they spit in the face of God even today. And so perhaps you're sitting here this morning and you're looking at all the wars and all the disasters and all the trials that are happening and it's like, where are you, God? I just don't see it. See, if there really is a God, why is there suffering? If there really is a God, why is there war? If there really is a God, why are there viruses? If there really is a God, why is there such injustice in this world? I know the world says it, but I know that I have been tempted to say it myself. If you notice, whenever we find ourselves complaining horizontally about the things that are happening in this world and relationships, inevitably that complaint is going to go vertical. It has to. We are going to complain against the struggles that we are having here, and then we are inevitably going to complain against God. Either you do not believe in a God, and you will say, see, it's proof that there is no God. It's an attack against him. Or if you are a theist and you do believe that there is a God, inevitably you're saying, God, you're not doing enough for us. We have a tendency to put God in the dock, as one pastor called it. We put God on trial. You know, a favorite book of mine is the book of Job. And in the book of Job, we see all the misery and all the pain that Job was going through. And inevitably, we're thinking about the fact that it seems like Job is on trial. But if you really understand the book of Job, it's not Job that's on trial. It's God. What Satan is saying is that if God, if you're really a good God... And if people really love you, they will only love you if you do good. If you take everything away from them, they hate you. It's an attack against God. Well, we see that right here in Malachi. And and hopefully through these messages, what you've been hearing is this interweaving. I was just talking to Doug this morning about this, this interweaving of an attack against the justice of God. Right from the beginning, there was an attack against God's love for them. 
Then it was the spiritual leaders that were not doing what they should. Then it was in their homes and in their marriages how they were mistreating people. As we heard last week, they were even acting against God in their economic areas. But in essence, they were missing a God of justice and a God of love. Look here with me here in Malachi chapter 2, verses 17. And we're going to go into verses, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Really sad that they made the break here in the verse, uh, in the verses. It says in verse 17, you have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does good, I'm sorry, evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom I seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like fuller soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. He will refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. And then the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old. As in the former years, then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift witnesses against sorcerers, against adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired workers in their wages, the widows and the fatherless, against those whom thrust aside the sojourners and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Now, this is God's sufficient, eternal, authoritative, life-giving, life-changing word. Would you pray with me? What a blessed word, Lord. Lord, you hear our complaints and our criticisms, our complaints horizontally, but then eventually our complaints against you. And you graciously give us an answer. Christ. God, your answer to the injustice of this world is Christ. You speak of your son, Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, as coming as a cleanser of your people. And you speak of your son, the Savior, not only coming as a Savior, but then coming as a judge to condemn the wicked. And then you end by telling us that we can have confidence and we can take comfort in the fact that you you don't change. You're a covenant keeper and that we are not consumed. So, Lord, I pray today as you hear our complaints and as you hear our critiques and our criticisms and you hear it in your ear, I thank you for the fact that you do not treat us as we deserve. You've granted us mercy in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as you look at the the evil in this world, how do you tend to respond Look here in verse 17. It's, it's really interesting because we start with the complaints and the criticisms of the people. The complaints and the criticisms of the people. And they, they start by saying this. It says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. Wearying God. 
I want you to know that God is unchangeable in his character. And so it's, it's very clear here that it's not about God's power that we are talking about wearying. Wearying for us, as we define wearying, could be over physical issues where we could get spent. I was spent just several weeks ago. I drove down to Florida in two days and then drove back from Florida almost three or four days later. And it's like, and then down there, I was getting my daughter ready for college, and I was spent. And I was wearied. And maybe for you, that's the wearying that you go through. Some of us not only go through wearying physically, but we all go through wearying emotionally in our lives. We can come to the end of it as a parent. Sometimes I can come to the end of it for myself, and I can find myself getting annoyed at times, exasperated at times. I confess that to you. I'm sure you've struggled with that at times. So there's a wearying that happens physically or there's a wearying that happens emotionally. It can't be the case with God. One of my favorite sections in, is found in Isaiah chapter 40. And it talks about God is unlimited in his power. It talks about God is unsearchable in his wisdom. It talks about God's ultimate authority. But one of my, the section in Isaiah 40, it says... Have you not known, have you not Lord known, the Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. Power. And he gives power to those that faint. He gives power to us. And to him who has no might, he increases their strength. Even youths grow faint and weary, and even young men fall exhausted, but those that wait in anticipation in the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. So when we're talking about the weariness of God, it cannot be about his power. It cannot be about his physical ability. It's not about his emotional strength. It is about his patience. See, there are aspects of God that do not change. But when it comes to his long-suffering and his patience with us, there's a time that that may come to an end. And you're wearying God. And they're wearying God with their words. The words that we are giving. God gives us the ability to speak for some of us. And it's a precious ability. Out of your mouths is supposed to go praise to God and good news to others. And out of our mouths, we curse one another, devalue one another, and then we devalue God. These people have wearied God and they have wounded God with their words. And I wonder... And I was thinking as a husband, if my wife ever came to me or if my child ever came to me and said, you are wearying and wounding me with your words, I would hope that out of my heart, I would ask this question, how am I wearying you? I want to know how I am hurting you. That would be a heart of repentance, a heart desire to make it right, to, to do right in that relationship. But there's another way to say those exact same words. How am I wearying you? And I think that's exactly what they're saying here. You've wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied you? It's a questioning. It's cynical. It's mocking. It's criticizing God. How have we wearied you? You've wearied us. All the injustice we see in this world, you're not helping us economically. You're not helping us politically. You're not helping us with viruses. You're not doing your job, God. That's in essence what they're saying in their hearts. And they're attacking God in three ways. Watch what he does, what they do. 
by saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. They're saying that, God, you're seeing the evil out there and you are doing nothing. They see evil people getting away with evil deeds. God, you're not there. It seems like you're switching sides, God. God, you seem to be blessing those that are doing evil. And for us that are the good people, you're doing nothing for us. You ever find yourself contemptuous of other people? You know, you look at things that people do and you find yourself contemptuous and just can't stand them. And in essence, that's what they're doing here. There's a sneering that is happening. They are looking at God and they are seeing God as not doing good. God, you are seeing sin and you're doing nothing about it. So they're attacking the holiness of God. There's a second attack that they make. And the second attack is that they are attacking the justice, I'm sorry, the righteousness of God. It says not only that they see evil, God sees evil, but he delights in them. He's, he is seeing evil and then he is satisfied. Now they are attacking God. They're attacking his holiness and now they're attacking his righteousness. They are attacking him and they're saying, God, you look at this evil and you are delighting in it. This goes exactly counter to Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and following. It says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. That he understands and knows me. So to really understand God and to really know him, here it is. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love. I love you and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. God doesn't delight in seeing the evil. He sees it, but he doesn't see it in a way that he sees it as good. And he is not satisfied or delighted in the evil that happens in this world. They're attacking the holiness of God. They're attacking the righteousness of God. Now they're attacking the justice of God. It says here, or by asking, where is the God of justice? The cynicism and the skepticism that they are saying is just so heavy here. We used to believe in a God of justice, but he's not here anymore. Where's the God of Mount Carmel? Where's the God of the Red Sea? Where is the God who took down Edom? Where is the God that would remove evil leaders? Where is that God? That's in essence what they're saying. He's been defanged. He's not really God anymore. Look at all the trouble that we're having. And you're not doing anything, God. The attack of the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the justice of God ultimately comes down to the fact that they're attacking God's care. If you remember the very first sermon in Malachi, it was the fact that I love you. See, for us as believers who are going through difficult trials, we questioned the very love of God. We question that God is a covenant keeper. As you go through the trials in your life, you must remind yourself of the fact that God is true. He does not change, and he does not change in the fact that he loves his people. 
Hold fast to that. Hold fast to his promises. Hold fast to his word. As the world is chaotic and confusing, God does not change. So we start with this, the complaints and the criticisms of the people against the God of justice. It moves a second to God's answer to their complaints and criticisms, which, which I find very interesting to me because when I get criticized and when I have people complain against me, I want to try to defend myself, sad to say. And I will try to defend myself. I try to think of ways that I am better and I've done better. And, you know, you try to kind of go from criticism to defense. God is so loving and gracious in how he responds to his people. Watch how he responds. God answers in a way, and he didn't have to do this. He says, my answer to injustice, my answer to evil is Christ. That's his answer. You're looking at all the evil that's in the world. My answer, I am sending you, is Christ. Here it is. Verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple in the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming. And he says, says the Lord of hosts. Well, he starts by saying that I'm going to send two messengers, two messengers, a small M messenger and a large M messenger, small M messenger. He is sending a messenger and the person is to prepare the way for his big messenger. And we know from the New Testament that the small messenger that he sent was John the Baptist. John the Baptist came here to this world to prepare the way for the Messiah's coming. And when he came to prepare the way, he came to prepare the way by preparing people's hearts. He preached about repentance. He preached about the fact that there's a law and you are failing and you need a redeemer and you need somebody to forgive you. That's what John the Baptist prepared the way for the king. I should tell you that in this time, what would happen, we're talking about infrastructure projects here in the States Well, infrastructure projects, what they used to do is this. As they would hear that the king is coming, they would go out and prepare the roads. They would fill in holes. They would remove boulders. They would prepare the street for the king to come into their town. In essence, John the Baptist became the way, the infrastructure project. He is going to prepare the way for the Messiah's coming. So we start here by saying that I'm going to send my messenger to prepare the way. Let me just do a quick offshoot. If you remember from the very first sermon, Malachi, the name Malachi means means what? Do you remember? My messenger. Malachi, the name Malachi means my messenger. So now here in the chapter, God is saying, I'm sending another Malachi, another messenger. Okay, so we have John the Baptist who's preparing the way for the Messiah. Now there's a second messenger that comes. Small messenger, John the Baptist. Big messenger, the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch what it says here. And the Lord whom you seek. You're crying out for a God of justice. Here he comes. He will suddenly come to his temple. See, he's going to come to his place of worship. He is going to come to his place of worship and he is going to do a work in his temple. 
And what we find is that Jesus Christ went right to the temple and he preached there and he spoke there. He was there, if you remember, at 13 years old. Where was he? He was at the temple there when they couldn't find him as a kid. He preached his message from Isaiah chapter 61. He preached it there in the temple. He was there with these people. And he cleansed the temple multiple times. Jesus Christ said in his first, one of his first messages in Isaiah chapter 61, he said this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me, Messiah, to give, to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons to those that are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And what Jesus did was he closed the scroll at that time. He was saying that I have come on my advent to, to offer hope to you. So God sends himself, him, his Messiah, to us. He comes suddenly to his temple. He is a messenger of the covenant. The covenant was God's faithful promise to his people that I have redeemed you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am bringing you eventually to my home. See, you are delighting in that God. That's, that's that God. I love it here. Twice in this verse, it talks about his coming. Suddenly he will come. And then it says, behold, he is coming. The double emphasis tells me in assurance and certainty that you are wondering where the God of comfort is coming. He is coming. The messenger is preparing the way and my Messiah is coming. So what do we learn? We learn about the critiques of the people and the complaints of the people. But second, we learn about Christ. Christ is coming. The third thing that we learn is that Christ is coming to cleanse people. Christ is coming to cleanse people. Watch here in verse 2. It says, but who can endure the day of his coming? Third time they talk about his coming. Who can stand when he appears? Another way of saying coming. For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. He will refine them like silver, gold and silver. I, I, I should say this, is that he talks about the fact that God is coming as a Messiah, as a human flesh, and he's coming to save and to sanctify. He is coming to forgive and to free people. See, God comes here to forgive you of your sins, but he comes here to set you free. We stand under a penalty of God's sin, of our sin and God's righteousness. All humanity stands under his just bar. All of us will stand before him and have to give an account. We are under the penalty of God's justice and the penalty of our sin. We sinned against God. But what God does for us amazingly in his astonishing patience to us is not only does he look at your sin, he says, I want to free you from the penalty of your sin. But not only does he want to free you from the penalty of your sin, he wants to free you from the power of the sin in your life. He wants to justify you, free you from condemnation, and he wants to sanctify you. He wants to set you free and make you pure in his sight. And eventually, he takes you from the penalty of your sin and from the power of your sin, and he takes you from the very presence of sin as he takes you home to heaven. Where is the God of justice? The God of justice has come in Christ. And he wants to cleanse his people. He uses two illustrations here. He says, I want to give hope to those that are brokenhearted. And he says, I want you to know that you will never be acquitted by your own righteousness. 
You are a sinner. But what I can do for you, God says, is this. I can transform you. I can transform you like a refiner's fire. Back in that culture, what they would do is they would take gold or silver. And you may know this as well. They would take that metal and they would heat it up. And as they heat up that metal, what happens is that the impurities would come to the surface. And the goldsmith or the silversmith would skim off those impurities. And as the fire goes and the churning goes and the impurities come to the surface, skim it off, skim it off, skim it off. And the goldsmith or the silversmith will know that this is pure, that as he looks down or she looks down into this, they will see their reflection in the gold. They would see their reflection in the silver and they would know that it's becoming more and more pure. And what Malachi is doing and greater than that, the Holy Spirit is saying for you and for me is this, that God will allow you to go through trials in your life. You worry about the injustice around the world, but what God wants to do is to bring the injustice in your own heart, the wickedness of your own heart, the sin of your own heart. He wants to cleanse you positionally by saving you. And then he wants to cleanse you practically by cleaning that junk out of your life. And as a refiner, he wants to see his glory reflected in your life. But then there's a second element that he uses, second illustration. A launderer's soap or a fuller soap. He talks about a refiner's fire and he says like fuller soap. Now a lot of the clothes in that day were made out of wool. They would take it off, the, uh, the hide off of a sheep, and they would take their hide. And, and the sheep would be in the ground, there would be dirt, there would be bugs, it would be nasty. So before you would be able to turn that into clothing, you really needed to clean that out well, and they would use a fuller soap, a launderer's soap, to really get in there deeply to change them. So what God is doing is he's purifying his people. He's saying, I'm giving you a position of purity, but I want to make you practically pure. The clothing that he's doing, he's cleansing this. I want you to know that God is cleansing you from your guilt in Christ. See, Jesus has the power to change you. As you're sitting there in your life and saying, I don't see how I can ever be free of this condemnation. I don't see how I can ever be free of this guilt. God says, I can change you. I can change you. I can take away the penalty. I can take away the power. I can take away the presence of sin in your life. Jesus comes to make people new. Your question is, where is the God of justice? He's here. God's delay in putting out justice doesn't mean that he is not going to do justice. Scripture tells us that God is not slack. He's not wanting that any should perish, but all come to eternal life. So God, in his slowness from a human viewpoint, maybe is giving us the opportunity to be saved. I was thinking if Jesus Christ had come back prior to the time I was 13 years old, prior to Pinebrook Bible Conference, if he had come back a day before that day, I wouldn't have been saved. Maybe the day before you were saved, if God had come back before, the day before, or maybe you had taken your last breath, you wouldn't be saved. 
But God, in his waiting from a human viewpoint and tolerating the sins of this world is so that out of the weeds that are there, he is pulling back his good crop to bring his people home. So Christ, um, their complaints and their criticisms, number one, the answer is Christ. Number two, the third thing is that God comes, Christ comes to cleanse his people. Number three. The fourth thing I want you to see here is that eventually Christ is also going to condemn the wicked. He talks here about the refiner's fire and the purifier. He will purify the sons of Levi and that they're going to be presenting righteous and holy offerings to him. But verse 5, then I will draw near to them for judgment. I will be swift witnesses against them. It's interesting to me that we talked about Christ came quickly as a savior, but then he is also going to come quickly as a judge. There's going to be a day where God is going to come back and judge this world. It can happen in a moment. It can happen in a twinkling. It's there and you're standing before him. See, the hope for the broken sinner that trusts in Christ is that I could be made new. I could be made new in position. I could be made new practically. I could be given a holy position and a holiness in my life. But for those of you that reject God, day after day, every week that you sit in the sanctuary and you hear the good news of the gospel, And you close your ears, you turn your eyes away, and your heart does not melt before God. I say with sadness, but I say with strong conviction that if a day happens and you take your last breath, you will stand before God as a judge. When when Jesus was giving that message in Isaiah chapter 61, you remember he stopped at the year of the Lord's favor. But if you're familiar with Isaiah chapter 61, verse 2, the very next line is, and the day of vengeance of our God. The Christ, the Lord, you want an answer to injustice in this world? The answer to injustice is Christ. He comes as a cleanser initially of his people, but he will condemn the wicked. And that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I will be swift, it says in verse 5, witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired workers, against those uh, hired workers and their wages, the widows and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourners and those who do not fear me. What he does is he hits seven sins. I don't know if seven, because seven seems to be a, a whole number, a, a wholeness in, in Scripture. He talks about seven sins here. He talks about sorcery, which is magic and divination. It's, it's trying to read the future without God, without God. He talks about adulterers here. Yes, adultery, sexual immorality, breaking faith horizontally, but they were also breaking faith against God vertically. They talk about swearing falsely. They're perjurers. 
talks about opposing the hired workers and their wages. One of the things that you would do in this culture is that you would hire somebody to work your fields during the day. And at the end of the day, you could be an unjust hire worker, I mean, uh, employer in the fact that you did not pay your workers. They disregard the widows and the fatherless. They took advantage of those that were needy. They thrust aside the sojourners. Instead of welcoming the strangers to their land, they thrust them aside. And they do not fear God at the heart of it. And the scripture is saying here that God is going to judge them, that Christ is the savior of his people and the cleanser of his people, but he will condemn the wicked. The complaints and the criticisms against God, the answer is to all struggles is Christ. He comes as a cleanser. He comes as a condemner. But I want to see you, I want you to see this. Here is where the comfort comes in. Verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. I want you to hear the beauty of the fact that we should take comfort And confidence in the fact that God is a God of his covenant. He doesn't change. He doesn't change in his character. He doesn't change in his covenant to you. He is a covenant keeper. He's a promise keeper. People break their promises to one another all the time. But God never breaks his promise to his children. See, that's where we could take comfort and confidence in the midst of the chaos and the confusion of this world. Know this, you are not condemned. You are not consumed because of Christ. Uh, Carmelo probably knows this. I say this to him often that I love that song. I don't know if he put it on today for any reason, but before the throne of God above, I, I, I just cry over that song um, because it's before the throne of God above, I have a strong and, and perfect plea. The great high priest whose name is love ever lives and bleeds for me. My name is written on his hands. My name is written in his heart. And I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. And though Satan tempts me to despair and tells me all of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. And now the God who's just satisfied to look on him and pardon me. So, there's a lot of evil in this world. There is. I want you to think about the evil that is happening in this world. And I want you to first think about the evil that is there in your own heart. I want you to know that um, God doesn't change. God doesn't change in his essential attributes. He's a holy, righteous, just, good God. He doesn't change. God doesn't change in his will. 
God doesn't change in his covenant faithfulness to you. And God doesn't change in his promises. As you go through the struggles and the trials that you're going through today, I want you to know that you can trust the God of truth and trust the God of love. And the injustice that you see in this world, there will be a day where God will balance all these scales. Don't take justice into your own hands. When you take justice into your own hands, you become a judge of other people rather than resting under the sovereignty of God. So I'll end with this. You remember the uh, story that Jesus gave in Luke of this Pharisee and this tax collector? And the Pharisee is standing there. Uh, it's, I think it's Luke 18. It is. Um, in Luke 18, it says this. Verse 9. And he told this parable of some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. That's what the people of Malachi's day were doing. They were looking at the sins of other and they were comparing themselves with them and saying, I'm pretty good. But then it goes on to say this. I fast twice a week. I give the tithe of all that I get. I do all these right things. He was trusting in his abilities. Verse 13. But the tax collector standing afar off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said something that was mind-blowing to the people of this day. I tell you, this man, the evil one from your viewpoint, he went away justified. And the one who does all the right things was condemned. For one who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. I pray today, if you have a complaint or criticism against God, be very careful. That doesn't mean that we don't bring our doubts to God. We bring our doubts to God. The psalmist did that often. God, I just don't understand. Do that. But don't put God on trial. Don't attack his character. When we do that, we're going down the wrong path. Know that the answer to all of evil in this world is Christ. Christ comes as a cleanser. You can be made new. He also comes as a judge to condemn. And for you that are struggling today, take confidence and comfort in the fact that God doesn't change. He is a covenant keeper. And you are not consumed because of Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, I, um, I was going to go into Romans chapter 1, but I think the point has been made. Romans 1, it talks about the fact that there's a wrath of God that is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth of God. Father, we as human beings tend to suppress your truth, suppress you. We fail to glorify you and fail to be grateful to you. And the passage tells us that there's a point where you will give us up. 
You will give us up to our sinful desires. You will give us up to our shameful lust. You will give us up to a debased mind. And no one has to turn. You could turn on the news today and we could see the sinful desires, the shameful lust, the evil and debased mind that is happening in our world today. It's a part of your judgment upon us, Lord. And as every one of us stand, Romans 3 tells us that there is a corrupting conversation, there's corrupting character, there's corrupting conduct, because the corrupting cause is this, we do not fear you. And it tells us that we will all stand before you and we'll have no words to say in our defense. But the answer is Christ He came to justify people by taking their sin upon himself and then putting his righteousness upon him, them, if they trust in him. He came to propitiate your anger, Lord. He took your anger upon himself for our sin. He took hell for us if we trust in him. And he propitiated that anger. He justifies us. He propitiates us. But the beautiful thing of Romans 3 is that he redeems his people from bondage. He sets us free. Lord, I thank you so much for your son's forgiveness and his freedom of us. Father, I look out at my congregation here and I pray that every single person here trust in your son. I pray that every single person that hears my words today trust in your son pray that you would open blind eyes, open deaf ears, make all things new, Lord. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen. Let's sing, I once was lost. was lost in darkest night yet thought I knew the way the sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave I had no hope that you would own a rebel to If you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. But as I ran my hellbound race, indifferent to the cause, looked upon my and led me to the cross and I beheld God's love displayed you suffered in my 
thank you that we are not consumed, that we who are in Christ are not consumed, we are not destroyed, and yet you are just. You do not change as we heard today. We know that you have not changed, you will never change. And when you so hated sin, you sent yourself and your son to die for us. You do not change, but we are the beneficiaries, Lord. We are not consumed, we are not destroyed, we are loved. We are brought into your love by you sacrificing your son on our behalf. All we have is Christ. The world is a wreck, Lord, but we have Christ. And like we heard in a song last week, the cross has the final word. Yes, things come against it, but in the end, that cross stands. It's salvation for all. It's freedom for all. And it wins again. Lord, we thank you that we know you. We thank you we've been brought into your family. Would you help us this week to go out to tell more that it is a family that is ready to welcome as many as hear the good news. Lord, we thank you this morning that we can be together. We ask now that you be with us as we go into our weeks. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a nice week.